Sometimes we talk about what Christ can do for you. We're trying to encourage someone to think more about obeying the gospel, becoming a Christian. And we try to enumerate what Christ can do for you. There's another question or another approach that we might use, similar, and that is to talk about what Christ can do to you. And I'd like to think along that line this morning. What Christ can do to you. I read about a man, maybe you've heard about other similar types of individuals, who was a bad, bad character. He was a wicked man. He had a bad reputation in his community. And then one day he obeyed the gospel. He made a complete turnabout in his, in his life. His lifestyle was changed. And someone says that when you repent, you're going to make a complete turnabout in your life, and he did. Faithfully worshiped the Lord. Wasn't long until he was preaching here and there as needed. He had truly been converted unto Christ. But there was one problem. The people who remembered the way he used to live could not forget it and would not forgive him. But he continued to be faithful, serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, in spite of these folks' attitude of unforgiveness and of their ignorance of Christianity. We talk about Christianity. What is the purpose of Christianity? What is the power of Christianity? What is the product of Christianity? Well, let's look first at the purpose of Christianity. It is designed, we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, his word. Christianity is designed to take a worthless life and to make of it a new creature. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature or a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, they've become new. And when one comes and accepts Jesus Christ to walk in his paths, in his way, he's changed. And there's a new purpose in his life. And if that old life hasn't been changed to one of holiness, then there's been a failure. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 16, Ye shall be holy, for I am holy. And Peter is quoting the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Lord Jehovah. Ye shall be holy, for I am holy. And anything less is failure. Christ is not just for morally good people. The gospel in Christianity is not just for morally good people. You remember that time when Jesus and his disciples were invited to Matthew's house shortly after Matthew's conversion? Matthew had many of his friends there, we think, to introduce them to Jesus. But there were some Pharisees who were there also. And they could not see how a person who's supposed to be a disciple of God could be fellowshipping with sinners, tax collectors. You remember what Jesus said in answer to that? 
said, he that is healthy hath no need of a physician but the sick. I am not come to call you unto repentance. I'm not come to call the righteous unto repentance but the sinner. Jesus wanted them to know that he came to help everybody and that all could be benefited. The purpose of the gospel was to change their lives and the power of the gospel will do it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 about some folks who were in the church of the Lord who before they became Christians were some of them were fornicators some were idolaters some adulterers some homosexuals some were drunkards and thieves and covetous and revilers and extortioners uh, but Paul goes on to say there's power in the gospel but ye were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There is power in the gospel to change, as we can see from this one example. Jesus Christ has the power to change the lowest life into the highest. And then there's the product of Christianity. From a mean character, one has been changed into a Christian. Changed into one having the spirit of Christ. Changed into one who's manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8 and 9, Paul said, If any man hath the spirit of Christ, no, if any man hath not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If I don't have the spirit of Christ, I don't belong to Christ. That's what Paul's saying there. And also in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, meekness and self-control. That's what Christ can do to you when one becomes a Christian. But to be suspicious of such a change, that a change that is so great is to be one guilty of judging and too ignorant of what Christianity can do. I'd like to think a little bit more about what Christianity can do for you and me and everyone who will come to the Lord surrendering. Let's go back to that verse we quoted a while ago, Romans 8, 9. If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Let's think about the Spirit of Christ that we're to have so we can be one of his. Jesus Christ <clears throat> had the spirit of humility. He lived humbly. When a would-be disciple came to him, Jesus said, you know, Luke 9, 59, the foxes have holes and the birds of the heavens have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He came to live a humble life and did. Paul tells us, Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5, have this mind in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this spirit in you. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion of a man, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. There is the example of the Lord's humility, and that's what Paul is talking about. He became humble. Well, he was always of the same nature, humble. But he manifested it when he came to our earth. He had a spirit of humility. He taught humility. One day, and this happened several times, the twelve were discussing among themselves, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And they thought they'd ask their master. And so they asked Jesus. said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus answered, <clears throat> um, well, first, he selected a little child, set him in their midst, and he said, except ye become as little children, except ye turn and become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. First thing he says is, you've got to get in the kingdom. Never mind about being exalted, that's what was on their mind. He goes on to say, whosoever therefore shall humbled himself as this little child, the same shall be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was, Jesus taught the spirit of humility. One of the great examples we have from Jesus was on that night before his crucifixion. There were the twelve with him. Nobody raised up to wash anybody else's feet but Jesus. He rose up. He washed their feet. When he got through, he said, Know what I've done to you? Ye call me teacher and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, the teacher and the Lord, or the Lord and the teacher, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. He didn't say do what I've done, which would be all right, but to do as I've done. Jesus is the Lord and he is the teacher. They were the disciples and he washed their feet. That's humility. And if any have not the spirit of humility, he is none of his. Christ also had a spirit of tenderness. Two occasions come to mind where he demonstrated his sensitivity, his caring, his tenderness. In Luke 7, we read about a Pharisee who invited Jesus to come and have a meal with him. Well, there was a woman, not invited, who came. She learned that Jesus was there and she brought a gift for him. And when she entered in, she bowed down at his feet 
to anoint them with the ointment that she had brought. But before she could open up that alabaster cruise of ointment, her tears began to wet his feet. And then she took her long hair and reached down and tried to dry them. Eventually, after kissing them much, the Bible says, she poured the ointment upon his feet. Well, Simon, no, not Simon, the Pharisee who had invited him there, was saying to himself, he didn't say this out loud, he said, now, if this man's really a prophet, he'd know what sort of a sinner this woman is. But Jesus knew what he was thinking. He said, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Simon said, teacher, say on. Then he told him this parable. A lender had lent this man 500 shillings and this man 50 shillings. But neither of these two could pay their debts back. And then Jesus asked the question, he forgave them both, now which of the two loved him the more? And Simon reluctantly said, I suppose, the one that he forgave the most. And Jesus said, you've spoken correctly. And then he turned and said, you see this woman here, Simon? Then he made three contrasts. When I entered into your house, you didn't give me any water. Now, a host should bring water so a person could wash their feet. They didn't wear socks. They didn't wear shoes like we have. They, they wore sandals around that dusty land. And so it was a custom to provide water. He didn't do it. But he said, this woman has not ceased to wet my feet with her tears. And he says, you didn't use any oil. They used regular olive oil to anoint the person when they came to their home. But this woman brought this ointment, more expensive than just olive oil, and anointed him. And the woman also had not ceased to kiss his feet. And Simon, you didn't kiss me when I came in. You didn't embrace me to show me that you were the, the host who was glad to see me come as your guest. And then he said to that woman, Thy sins are forgiven thee, because thou hast shown such great love. Jesus was very sensitive to the situation. This woman is described as a sinner. But Jesus spoke to her as a common human being, like he was, another human being. Your sins are forgiven. That's a per imperfect tense. That means they've been forgiven in the past, and they're still forgiven. She had had some contact with Jesus before this, had turned to him. That's why she showed more love. She had come there to express her love for his forgiving her. Thy sins are forgiven. They've been forgiven, and they're still forgiven. Another occasion was when Jesus came early to the temple, spent the night in the Mount of Olives, the Garden of, Eden, of Gethsemane. And there he was teaching the multitude, and his teaching was interrupted. There were a group of men, a group of men who brought a woman. They weren't interested in God's law, the law of Moses, but they wanted to use it as an occasion to try to trick Jesus, put him on the spot. And so they said, now, the law, according to Moses, is that like this woman who was taken in adultery, such are to be stoned. Well, what do you say about it? Well, they had the law. 
They knew what the law required. They weren't carrying that out. They wanted to see if what Jesus would say. So Jesus just stooped over and wrote with his finger in the sand. And they kept on asking, what are you going to say about this woman? She's taken in adultery. And he rose up, and then he said to them, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And then he stooped over, continued his writing in the sand with his finger. And then he stood up again, looked around, said to the woman, Have they left us? Did no man condemn thee? She said, No man, Lord. And he said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. He didn't justify her sin. He just said, go and sin no more. But this was a delicate situation, as was the other. And Jesus showed his spirit of tenderness, sensitivity. And if any man hath not the spirit of tenderness, he is none of his. Jesus also had a spirit of forgiveness. Didn't he teach that we should even forgive our enemies? You've heard that it was said before, Matthew 5, 43 and 44, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto thee, Thou shalt love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you. And he was willing to forgive. Taught forgiveness. And Matthew asking the question, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 18, Peter asking the question, Lord, how often should I forgive a brother? Up to seven times? Jesus said, no. Not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Well, when we multiply 70 times seven, we get 490 times. Is Jesus saying now, Peter, you count the times that this one individual, he's talking about one individual sinning against him. If you get up to 491 times, then you don't have to forgive anymore. No, that wasn't what Jesus was teaching. The term seven and 70 used in the Bible is a term of completion, completeness, perfection. So what he's saying is, you keep on forgiving that individual time and time and time again and never quit. As someone asked him, Luke 17, the same question. He says, as long as someone comes to you and says, I repent, forgive them. Even if they come unto you seven times in the day and say, I repent, you know, one time after another, forgive them. Jesus had the spirit of forgiveness. He taught it. We know that he demonstrated it when Peter denied him. When we look at the list in 1 Corinthians 15 of those who appeared or to whom Jesus appeared after his resurrection, you remember who's at the top of the list? Cephas. Cephas denied the Lord three times. And Jesus appeared to him, it would appear here, first. And you can imagine that meeting. Peter, after his third confession 
had run out into the darkness, weeping bitter tears. And now the Lord comes to him and I'm sure embraced him. He knew what was in Peter's heart. He knew he was sorry, godly sorrow. He'd never do that again. And didn't. He demonstrated the spirit of forgiveness to his apostle Peter. Forgave his enemies. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was on the cross when he said that. If any have not the spirit of forgiveness, he is none of his. Jesus had the spirit of forgiveness. And Christ also had the spirit of obedience. <clears throat> you remember when he came to John to be baptized in the Jordan? And now, John, you know, wanted to put it off. He didn't feel like he was qualified to baptize the Master, the Lord. And Jesus said, suffer it. For it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3.15 John, we're going to have to allow this. Suffer it now. It becometh you and me. It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. This is God's will. Jesus didn't have any sins to be baptized for. John baptized for the remission of sins. Mark 1.4 No sins to, to confess. But it was God's will for the people. He set the example. And he was willing to do that. Jesus Christ had the spirit of love. With the Father, he loved the world so much that he gave himself to die on the cross. He loved his friends. When Jesus got word that Lazarus was dead, came back to Bethany, they were leading him to the tomb, and Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five just says Jesus wept, and the very next verse, verse thirty six says, the Jews said unto them, Behold, how he loved him. Behold, how Jesus loved Lazarus. He wept. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but Mary and Martha and their friends were all sorrowful. And he was moved by their sorrow. Jesus wept. He had a spirit of love. He loved his friends. He loved his enemies, as we've already quoted. Forgive them. Do good to them who persecute you. Christ suffered for others. He suffered death for all. We think about the agony that he experienced in the garden. He took Peter, James, and John with him a little bit more into the garden. Told them to watch and to pray that they enter not into temptation. And then he went a stone's cast and fell upon his knees and he prayed, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then we read that an angel from heaven came and strengthened him and being in an agony he prayed the more earnestly and his sweat became as it were great drops of blood falling down upon the ground that was an experience of agony that's the word used the words translated strive 
agonizomai, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. He needed the angel that God dispatched to his side. He needed the answers to his prayer. And the great drops of sweat becoming like blood manifested that. Christ had a spirit of love, willing to suffer for others. And we might mention one more thing. Christ had a missionary spirit. When he was training the twelve, he was training others as well. He sent the twelve out two by two. He sent the seventy out two by two. He told them what to teach. He gave them powers to perform miracles to confirm the message. Told them what to take and not what not to take. He was mission-minded, preparing them to take the gospel not only to the lost children of the household of Israel, but when he gave the Great Commission after his resurrection into all the world, he had a spirit of mission work. When he said, go and preach the gospel to every creature, to the whole creation, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not or disbelieveth shall be condemned. That was for every creature, as in Matthew, for all nations. And it was to be permanent. It's still in force today. One Wednesday, well, one summer, the congregation where we were worshiping, Laverne and I, when we first got married and I became a Christian then, they were <coughs> letting different brethren speak, giving them opportunity, train them, teach them. At two, probably speak 15, 20 minutes, maybe three, 15, I don't remember how many. But I remember one of the brothers in his lesson to the congregation, it's a pretty good sized congregation, he quoted the Great Commission, but he said, that's been fulfilled. And I suppose I would have if I'd been in his shoes, but I wouldn't have. Colossians 1, 6 and verse 23, where Paul said that the gospel had been preached in all the world, under all of the heavens. It was in all the world bearing fruit. And so this brother said that the gospel was, the Great Commission was no longer in force. The Lord's Commission had been carried out. Well, it had been carried out, but it had not been completed. And after he spoke, one of the elders stood up and very kindly but very forcefully said, I cannot understand how Brother so-and-so could say that. There are two things in Matthew that show that it's not over, that it is a permanent commission, the Great Commission. One is, he said, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now notice verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Well, he had just gotten through commanding them to go and to teach and baptize. Now, if they did what Jesus told them to do, they would teach and baptize, and then that person would be taught, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then that disciple would teach another, and that, and, you know, he'd keep on going. Every disciple, every new disciple has laid upon him the Spirit of Christ to grow into, and the great commission to carry out, going, teaching, baptizing. 
And then when he said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's going to stay with them all of the rest of the time this world is in existence. As they go and preach the gospel. If any have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And we've talked a little bit about part of the spirit of Christ. And you're probably thinking about other characteristics. Jesus came to die for you and me. He came to make us different people. He wants us to respond to his love and to all of his nature and character and to the gospel. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you're willing to live a life that's like Jesus Christ, willing to repent of your sins, to confess your faith, to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins, then if you've not done that, won't you do it this morning? If as a child of God you've strayed away and need to come back to him, you do. The Lord's arms are always open. He's always ready to receive you. And he wants you to come back confessing your faults, asking God's forgiveness as you repent. If you're subject to the gospel, will you come as together we stand and sing?